0: In the month of May, 5K every day. In the month of May.
1: Welcome back to the 5k every day in the month of May 2022 podcast I'm Jeff Poland and today is Wednesday May 18 I have to be honest these days are the hardest days of the challenge the newness has worn off we're closer than we were to our goal but it's still nearly two weeks away this part of the journey can become a total grind on one hand by now you should have developed a bit of a habit you've been running and or walking at least 3.1 miles every day for 17 days you know you can do it it's not a matter of whether or not you can do it, it's a matter of whether or not you are going to do it. You can do it, but you will have to choose to get it done. So on one hand, you have developed a bit of a habit, but on the other hand, All of the days are starting to kind of blur together and it could be easy to just forget about your daily workout or to just not feel it or to forget about how important of a goal it was for you to complete this challenge to begin with. Don't give in to that urge to lose your edge. Don't take your eyes off the prize. Keep running with perseverance, the race that has been set before you. To get you going today, here's a song from If We called Run, Run, Run. And while you're listening, don't forget that our daily fun focus. challenge for today is to wave at 10 people during your daily run or walk. So sing along, keep going strong, and take a moment to brighten somebody's day with a smile and a wave.
0: Run, 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 the race before us. Look, look, look all to Jesus. Live, live, live for the glory of His name. Give, give, give all our worship. Love, love, love He deserves it, live, live, live For the glory of His name Oh, let's run, run, run Race before us, look, look, look All to Jesus, live, live, live For the glory of His name Hey, let's give, give, give All our worship, love, love, love He deserves it, live, live of his name, we will see, we will raise our hands to God, a shout of praise, for he is good, his love endures, we trust his heart, we trust his word. For us, look, look, look All to Jesus Live, live, live For the glory of His name Hey, let's give, give, give All our worship, love, love, love He serves and live, live, live For the glory of His name We lay down Everything that holds us back, that hides our King. We radiate the glory of the one who bled and died for us. Oh, let's run, 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 race before us. Look, 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 alter Jesus, live, live, live. Give, give, give all our worship, love, love, love. He deserves it, CRY and live, 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 for the glory of His name. Oh, let's run, 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 the race before us, look, 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 all to Jesus, live, live, live live for the glory of His name. Hey, let's give, 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 all our worship love, 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 He serves and live.
1: You may have noticed that the weather is changing. One of the more tricky aspects of the 5K every day in the month of May challenge is the fact that May can be a strange weather month. I know that I was bundled up and nearly freezing at the beginning of the month and now just a few days past mid-May, my afternoon run feels like I am doing a slow death march on the surface of the sun. How do we navigate all those weather changes and stay active while also staying safe and healthy? I'm glad you asked. To help us figure out some best practices, we may as well do our weekly check-in with Brian Poland. All right, I've got Brian Poland on the Zoom call, and we're talking about right now how hot it is because it is, I don't know if it's unseasonably hot. I mean, this happens every year, but it does kind of take you by surprise. The beginning of May can be chilly. I was all bundled up at the beginning of the year. Now I'm trying to figure out how skimpy of a clothes I can run in. I've got my tank top on, my, my shorty shorts, and... You know, this can become a little bit of a problem for people. So I I thought it'd be a good idea to have you on and talk through what are some best practices and some tools of the trade, some tricks, I guess, to make sure that people stay healthy and they're able to keep running in all different weather, but specifically now when it gets a little bit hotter than we're used to.
2: Yeah, so it kind of dawned on me when I was looking through the 5K May Um, Facebook page the other day, I'm just kind of scrolling through and a couple weeks ago, um, because here we are on the 17th, 18th, um, a couple of weeks ago, people were in stocking caps and winter gear. And now this past week, people are out there in t-shirts and shorts and and less. And I'm like, man, as if 5k May isn't enough of a challenge. um, Now, here we go. Let's throw some 90 degree temperature with full sun at, at us. So, you know, it does kind of warrant some conversation of best practices. And, um, I'm assuming most people out there are realizing they go, they went out on their 5k early, um, early in the month and they were running it, let's just say in 30 minutes, very comfortable, you know, not a lot of heavy breathing. It's, it's a comfortable pace for themselves because we encourage them to pace themselves. Well, now they go out and it's 85, 90 degrees in full sun, and they're running that exact same pace. And all of a sudden they're breathing heavy and their heart rate is up, and they're having trouble holding that pace, and they're going, what is going on here? I, you would think by exercising every day, I might actually get in better shape, and here I am going downhill. You are not going downhill. You are fine. That is normal, um, especially for those of us in this region where we go through weather change, um, and then there's this other really nasty thing. In addition to the, the temperature, we have this other nasty thing in the state of Ohio called humidity. And if anyone can find humidity and beat that thing up, I would appreciate it because it's harder than heat. The humidity just really takes it out of you. So the, the reality is when you do go for a run and it's hot, humid conditions, you're going to have to adjust your pace. People that are better Googlers than me will probably go to the internet and find a neat little calculator that's actually out there that has a heat and humidity calculator for pace. I mean it is pretty staggering. I did this one time when I was the race director at Akron Marathon. We had one day where it was going to be unseasonably hot in September. I'm talking like 75 at the start, approaching 90 at the finish at the end of September. So you know people were starting to really freak out. So we put out a basically a medical alert telling people slow your pace. And we used that calculator and it was staggering. I mean a, a normal nine minute mile for a marathon turned into like 1045 pace. a marathon. That has nothing to do with you being a wimp or you being out of shape or you not being tough enough to handle it. The reality is our body processes oxygen and our body handles the elements totally differently as soon as that heat and humidity spikes. And it is really interesting that we always do 5k May. I think mostly because it rhymes so good, but May has the wonkiest weather. Um, It really does. I mean, it'll come in, and be snowing in May and then later in the month it is hot like you're on a beach vacation. So you know it's important that we respect these elements and maybe make some adjustments along the way. JP, how's your water intake right now? What what are you doing to kind of counteract the heat and humidity that's coming with this?
1: I drink four bottles of water a day. I'm not sure if this would be uh, maybe 24 ounces or something like that. So that's, you know, my, my goal is basically a gallon of water per day. I I have a little rule for myself. I don't always stick to, but I like to have a cup of coffee in the morning and then I'm not allowed to have another cup of coffee unless I down a whole bottle of water. So that, that helps me to not become dehydrated. I also have some great water bottles that I picked up at vertical runner For me, I don't like the hard water bottles. I like kind of the water sacks. Nathan makes a really good water pouch that as you're drinking it, it gets smaller in your hand and it's a lot more comfortable for me to carry. So on a longer run, I will go out with that water pouch. For me, I'm used to running further than a 5K, so I don't typically bring a bottle of water out on a 5K but I don't think it's a bad idea for people to do that.
2: Yeah, and you're hitting on all the right things. I mean, what the experts will say is during exercise, you need about 12 to 16 ounces of water or fluid per hour. So for you, Jeff, you're going out, you're running your 5K in 25 to 30 minutes. You're actually not even needing any water replenishment because you're not exercising over an hour. When you go out and you run a 5K in 25 to 30 minutes, you're not hitting that hour threshold where you really need to replenish your fluids during exercise. What you're pulling from is those bottles of water that you've been drinking throughout the day. So that pre And that's really the important part is making sure you're on a regular routine where you're regularly hydrated because it's a little unrealistic to think that you're just going to replenish your body with the water in a, in a handheld water bottle. Now, where that handheld water bottle comes into play is post-run. So during the run, if you think of it this way, you're using up the fluid that you're getting with your prehydration. Post-run, you're using that fluid that you took in during your run. So it's still very smart to take that handheld with you, drink that 12 to 16 ounces of fluid during your activity, but know that that's not going to hurt your performance. That's not going to, now you may be really thirsty during your run, but it's not going to help or hurt your performance but you're just gonna recover a heck of a lot faster. You don't wanna get to that point where you feel like you're dehydrated or you feel like you've lost too much fluids because then you're just gonna feel a little bit sluggish after your run and that's not really the idea. The idea of the run is to go out, have fun, enjoy yourself, not to have to sit in a chair and try to recover for the rest of the afternoon. So pre-hydration, during hydration, and then obviously the post-hydration. Make sure you drink something afterwards um, and it's really important to also think about electrolytes too. Um, you know, water is awesome. It's the number one hydrator, but it's also a little bit dangerous in the fact that, you know, you have these electrolytes in your body, these kind of cool things that keep you from cramping. If you don't replenish those and all you do is drink water, you're actually diluting those those things that are in your system. So think about something salty, whether it's, you know, a lot of people like Gatorade, which is great, Powerade, but there's also some non-sugary additives that you can take. You know, I personally don't do well with sugar. So I take a little product called an S cap, um, which gives me sodium, um, potassium, you know, basically direct from a pill, um, to help me recover. So a lot of it is trial and error, but the important thing is to be thinking about what might work for you and be working towards a solution. So yeah, hydration, number one thing when the weather starts to spike.
1: Great advice from Brian Poland to keep us out there and keep us hydrated, keep us healthy, and keep us running strong through this 5K every day in the month of May challenge. Our Bible memory verse for this week is Luke 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Let's go ahead and jump into our daily Bible reading. We are currently in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his twelve disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. One day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it other seed fell among the rocks It began to grow, but the plant soon withered and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When he had said this, he called out, Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, but I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see. When they hear, they won't understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe it for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on the good soul represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's Word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. No one lights a lamp and then covers it with a bowl or hides it under a bed. A lamp is placed on a stand, where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. For all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open, and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. So pay attention to how you hear. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they couldn't get to him because of the crowd. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to see you. Jesus replied, my mother and my brothers are all those who hear God's word and obey it. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap, but soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. Then he asked them, where is your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and waves obey him. So they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes, across from the lake of Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of the man, even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles. He simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send him into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter the Pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby towns and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus's feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and how he had been healed. And all the people in the region of the Garrisons begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone, for a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left crossing back to the other side of the lake. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him home, saying, No, go back to your family, and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went through all the town, proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus, because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds, A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus. The leader of the synagogue he told him your daughter is dead there is no use troubling the teacher now but when jesus heard what had happened he said to jairus don't be afraid just have faith and she will be healed when they arrived at the house Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, Stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, My child, get up. And at that moment her life returned and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. Let's take another look at the words of Jesus to the man who was healed of demon possession in the country of the Gerasenes. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. That's Luke 8 verses 38 through 39. It is such a simple couple of verses, but it really feels like a key exchange to me. For those of us who have experienced Jesus in our lives, who have been saved from the hell that we were going to and the hell that we were going through, doesn't it seem right to have an attitude that begs Jesus, our healer, our savior, that we might be with him? I mean, that seems right to me. I would love to be with Jesus right now. I resonate with the Apostle Paul who wrote to the Philippians of his desire to depart and to be with Christ. He said, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, but my desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 1 verses 21 through 23. The desire to be in heaven with Jesus is strong, but he still has work for us to do here. So like the man who was healed of demon possession in the country of the Gerasenes, Jesus says to us, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. We have work to do, and that work includes declaring to those around us how much God has done for us. He really is good. He really is faithful. He really has saved me from myself, from Satan, and from sin and death. He is worthy of praise and worthy of my declaration. Do you feel the same way? If so, may we be like the man who was healed of demon possession in the country of the Gerasenes, who did what Jesus told him to do and went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Chapter 9 One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. When Herod Antipas, ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, he was puzzled. Some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others thought Jesus was Elijah or one of the other prophets risen from the dead. "'I beheaded John,' Herod said. "'So who is this man about whom I hear such stories?' And he kept trying to see him. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. Late in the afternoon, the twelve disciples came to him and said, Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, You feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered, or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd. For there were about 5,000 men there. Jesus replied, Tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. One day, Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the people say I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Peter replied, You are the Messiah, sent from God. Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The Son of Man must suffer many things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and were speaking with him about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory, and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. When the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. They didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, after they had come down from the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. A man in the crowd called out to him, "Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. My only child. An evil spirit seizes him, making him scream. It throws him into convulsions, so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it." Jesus said, "You faithless and corrupt people! How long must I be with you and put up with you?" Then he said to the man, "Bring your son here." As the boy came forward, the demon knocked him to the ground and threw him into a violent convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave him back to his father. All gripped the people as they saw this majestic display of God's power. While everyone was marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, listen to me and remember what I say. The son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. But they didn't know what he meant. Its significance was hidden from them so they couldn't understand it and they were afraid to ask him about it. Then his disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. But Jesus knew their thoughts, so he brought a little child to his side. Then he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my Father who sent me. Whoever is least among you is the greatest. John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. But Jesus said, Don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus Jesus turned and rebuked them. So they went on to another village. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, Come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, Yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. There is one fairly major yet minor detail in the feeding of the 5,000 that I had missed for years. Let's reread that portion and see if it sticks out to you as well. Now the day began to wear away and the 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. 12 baskets full of broken pieces. That's Luke 9 verses 12 through 17. Did you catch it? To be fair, there is a lot of application here in these few short verses. So you may have caught a lot, even much that I have missed. Feel free to leave me a message on the 5KMA 2022 Day 18 blog post to tell me what sticks out to you in the feeding of the 5,000 from Luke 9. But here's the big takeaway for me. Notice that the miracle happened in the hands of the disciples. Jesus had the people sit down in groups of about 50 each and then he took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them and then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Have you ever noticed that? I think that there are at least three things worth saying on this point. First, you could say that it was just practical for Jesus to use the disciples as his means for distributing the food. That is true, many hands make light work, but the practicality point kind of misses the whole point of the miracle. If Jesus is capable of turning five loaves and two fish into a feast, I don't think he needed the disciples to deliver the meal. There is no Uber Eats necessary for Jesus. He is pretty capable on his own. So while this method was, in fact, practical, Jesus was not really leaning on the practicality of things in this particular moment. Second, I think it's worth pointing out that Jesus was inviting the disciples into the work of the ministry. He was having them help him to come alongside of him as he was doing the work of the ministry. I spoke in an earlier episode about how making disciples is a four-step process. Step one, I do, you watch. Step two, I do, you help. Step three, you do, I help. And step four, you do, I watch. This is a bit of a step two moment. Jesus is doing the work and he is inviting the disciples to help. Or is it? The third thing that I want to point out is that Jesus is actively making that transition into step three right here in Luke 9. He already sent out the 12 apostles earlier in Luke 9, and here in the feeding of the 5,000, a case could certainly be made that the disciples are the ones doing the work and Jesus is merely helping them. The miracle happened in the hands of the disciples. Jesus gave the loaves and the fish to the disciples, and they were the ones who distributed the miracle over and over again. The miracle happened in the hands of the disciples. I believe that God is still in the business of performing miracles through the hands of his followers. In the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples could have just said, Nah, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to take what you hand me, Jesus, and I'm going to keep it for myself but instead, they took what He gave them and they passed it on to others. And the crazy thing is that there was more left over, so they took what He gave them and they passed it on to others. And the crazy thing is that there was more left over, so they took what He gave them and they passed it on to others, and so on and so on and so on. The miracle happened in the hands of the disciples as they did the work and Jesus helped. And the miracle continued to happen until everyone was satisfied, But what is God placing in your hands today that he wants to see you pass on to others? In what ways does God want to perform a miracle through your hands today? Chapter 10 The Lord now chose seventy-two other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places He planned to visit. These were His instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask Him to send more workers into His fields. Now go, and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you to your fate. And know this, the kingdom of God is near. I assure you, even wicked Sodom will be better off than such a town on judgment day. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. Yes, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on judgment than you. And you, people of Capernaum, Will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. Then he said to his disciples, Anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. At that time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, and he said, "O oh Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever, and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then when they were alone, he turned to the disciples and said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you have seen i tell you many prophets and kings longed to see what you see but they didn't see it and they longed to hear what you hear but they didn't hear it one day an expert in religious law stood up to test jesus by asking him this question Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up up and left him half dead beside the road by chance a priest came along but when he saw the man lying there he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there but he also passed by on the other side then a despised samaritan came along and when he saw the man he felt compassion for him going over to him the samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, "'Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here.' "'Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits?' Jesus asked. The man replied, "'The one who showed him mercy.' Then Jesus said, "'Yes. Now go and do the same.' But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset about these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. We've got a great privilege this morning. We are talking with Corey Yoder. And Corey, I could go on and on about who you are, but I think it'd be more fun to hear it from your own mouth. So can you tell us, who are you?
3: Well, thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. I think this is going to be a lot of fun, and I'm excited to share with all of you 5Kers out there. As Jeff said, my name is Corey Yoder, and I want to jump back a few years a little bit to when my husband and I were in a small group at our church and this question was asked as at one of our first small group meetings as we were getting to know each other, you know, who are you? And tell us a little bit about yourself. And something that one of the people said has stuck with me for all of these years. They said that they had heard someone answer this question with, well, my name is, you know, whatever the name was, and I walk with God. And I thought, man. That is the kind of answer that I would love to give, because that is the goal. Once we accept Jesus as our Savior, the rest of our years should be spent walking with God. And that should be enough. That should be our identity. And I love that answer. And hearing that sort of an answer is exciting when you're talking with somebody who also walks with God, because then what they're telling you is, what they see God doing in their lives. And that's exciting because he's working in different ways in each one of our lives. So that's, you know, the perspective that I'm going to be answering this question. My husband and I got married when we were young. Well, I was 19 and he had just turned 23 the the week that we got married. So we were young. We decided we didn't want to have kids for a number of years so that I could stay at home with our kids once they came along. So we waited eight years to have kids and I became a stay at home mom. And that was exciting and scary and hard all at the same time. And at that time, I had no idea that my plans of being a stay at home mom were going to take a little bit of a different path. But God just started opening so many doors, and they weren't even rooms that I know that I wanted to go into. I started dabbling in quilting, which that's gonna sound crazy because I think everybody has an idea of what quilting is and what quilting isn't. But I just fell in love with quilting and fabric. And I started designing quilt patterns and that led to me um, working with fabric companies and then working, I, I designed projects for magazines and then I started authoring quilting books. I have several quilting books that have come out and then when my youngest daughter started kindergarten. I was talking to another small group. So small groups at my church were very pivotal in all of this. I was talking to a group of friends in another small group, my husband and I were in. We were all kind of at the same spot in life where our youngest were were heading back to school. And we were all kind of thinking about how that was going to look for us, what we wanted to do and where God was leading us in this next chapter. I had been thinking a little bit about, well, a lot about going back out and working full-time outside the home, but that didn't seem like a a great fit. We really felt that God wanted wanted me at home with the girls, and, and so thinking about working outside the home wasn't as ideal, you know, with summer breaks and Christmases and those sorts of things, and so I had been thinking about fabric design, and I knew nothing about it at all, but I was talking to these friends. None of them are sewers or know anything about fabric or quilting or anything, which I think was great because I threw this idea out. And I think had they known, they would have said, there is no way you are going to be able to do that. That is a horrible plan, but they knew nothing about it and they were very encouraging. And they said, oh yeah, like when you lay out the pros and cons, fabric design sounds great. You should do that. And I went home from that supper and I thought, I am going to see what happens. You know, if God is leading you there, you're going to succeed. And and that's just how it is. And I put together a fabric collection. I submitted a fabric collection to the fabric company I wanted to work with. And they accepted me on as a fabric designer. And that was in 2014. And since then... I've continued with the fabric design. I have authored more books. I've had more magazine projects. God has opened doors that have allowed me to travel throughout the United States, teaching, speaking to quilt guilds and, and quilt shops. And it has just opened up this whole world. And has introduced me to people that I never would have believed I could have met. I have the most interesting friends that I have met through all of this. And I very much believe that God has led me into this just for this time. And it has been so interesting and fascinating because I just feel like I'm along for the ride. Like it's nothing I ever did or anything I knew how to do. I just, I really feel like I followed where where I was supposed to go and it has just fallen into place. And God has really blessed the business. I, you know, with the fabric design, I, I have my own pattern company now for quilt patterns. And that's really allowed my husband and I to, to serve God with what God has given us and and to serve in other ministries and to, to bless other people. And that's so exciting to be able to do that. I never could have imagined that we'd be able to do that, but, um, been quite a ride, and I'm, I'm excited to see where else this walk is going to go because it's been so much fun.
1: I love hearing that journey. One of the things that kills me is I understood such a small percentage of what you just said, and yet, <laughs> and yet I love hearing you talk about it because it's so clear that God's hand is in your life, that He's leading you in this thing. And you know, the Bible says, if you delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart, and I do think you're a person who has delighted themselves in the Lord, and this is obviously a fire and a passion that He's placed in your heart, and you're able to do that, not just do it, but you're able to do it in a way that honors Him and that points others to Jesus, and I love that. I love how He's using you in it. In fact, some of the 5K Every Day in the Month of May 2022 participants have signed up for this running and or walking challenge as a direct result of you promoting it through your quilting YouTube channel, which I think is just amazing and awesome. Uh, I mean, some of these people, they're from another country. Uh, they just just, I saw them coming through the registration page. I'm like, this is amazing. How did this happen? And they're like, oh, my quilting friend told me about it. I'm like, this is so great. But ca- how did this happen? And what made you want to promote this challenge and also for anyone out there who is listening and is interested in what you're doing which i find myself interested in what you're doing how can people find you on youtube or online or how can they get a hold of you
3: i love that so many quilters are interested in this challenge i honestly didn't know how many people would join me first of all committing to a 5k a day for a whole month is intimidating Second of all, quilters tend to be an older demographic. Not all of them are, but I just wasn't sure if this was going to be something anybody would be interested in. So I do have a new YouTube channel. Um, You can find it. It's just Coriander Quilts, like the Spice Coriander, but it's a play on my name. So Cori and her quilts, but the Spice Coriander Quilts on YouTube. I have like a, a works in progress series that I'm doing on there and it's for quilts so it's things that I want to you know check off my list every month some odds and ends that have been hanging around for years that I'm trying to wrap up I think it was in April I had gone down through my list of projects that I kind of wanted to wrap up and I encouraged other people you know what do you have that you guys want to get done to make sure that you get a devo in every day or maybe you want to make sure and, and get exercise every day whatever it is And then I had mentioned that I was going to be doing the 5K May. And if anyone else is interested in that, here's the information. And I just lumped it all in with, you know, one of the things that I wanted to accomplish for the month. And I was excited that, you know, there were other people that, yay, I want to try this too. And I know one of the cultures that signed up, she said that she, um, her 10-year-old son was, was walking with her on some of the days. And I thought that was great. I know we love when we can get out as a family. My girls aren't always as convinced that it's as much fun as my husband and I. But uh, when, when we do get out, it's fun to do it as a family.
1: Now, it's interesting that you say that about your kids because you have notoriously avoided 5K May in the past. In fact, My daughter's even made a t-shirt for you last year that said something along the lines of, I don't have anything to be cranky about this May, uh, something like that. But I know that you are an encourager at heart and I would love for you to have an opportunity to encourage someone who is in this 5K everyday in the month May challenge right now. What kind of encouragement could you offer as someone who has completed the challenge, as someone who has avoided the challenge, And as someone who is yourself, you are in the middle of the challenge right now. What kind of encouragement could you offer?
3: You are right. Some years I have been a lot crankier about it than other years. This is the third year that I am doing the 5K May. I did skip last year. I knew that I had some work things that just weren't going to allow me to get it accomplished. And I am very much a when I set out to complete a task, I want to know that I am going to finish that well. So it's looked a little bit different every year, but every year that I do that, you know, it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be fast. It just has to get done. Sometimes we put limitations on ourselves with our own expectations that don't really need to be there. We just need to, you know, get out there, do it well. You're going to feel so good when it's done, even if you're not enjoying it the whole time that it's happening. Um, I know that's part of the reason I enjoy it is because when it's over, I'm like, ah, you know, I had a chance to get out, get outside, clear my mind. And sometimes that in and of itself is the biggest reward.
1: Now, I was introduced to you first through the fact that you were the teacher of little kids Bible time at our church. You're talking about small group. We're actually in a small group with you now, which is really exciting. You and your husband, who I love so much. Great guy. But we're studying today the story of Mary and Martha, and I can't think of anybody who is better equipped to help us understand, to give us a vantage point of what Jesus is trying to tell us here in this story, because in your own life, you have had seasons where you really have kind of tended to be a a bit of a Martha, where, you know, the busyness of life and the things that absolutely need done have consumed you just like me for that matter, but you've had those seasons where you're really task-oriented getting things done, but I know you've also had seasons, and I know your desire is to be a Mary who just walks with Jesus, who's just in the presence of Jesus, and it really is a battle for us to kind of go back and forth between those things, and I think, you know, there's good, and there's bad, and there's ugly, you know, if we're all Martha all the time, we're going to miss Jesus. But if we're all Mary all the time, nothing's going to get done. And so what do we do here? I I can't wait to hear you help us understand a little bit more about this story of Mary and Martha.
3: I was really excited when you asked if I would be interested in talking about Martha and Mary, because this story does resonate with, with me. And my viewpoint, when I look at it, tends to change a little bit depending on that season of life that I'm in. I do find myself tending to be more of a Martha but as I said at the beginning of this, when we started chatting, my goal is to be more of a Mary, where I can answer, yes, I walk with God, and that there's a period at the end of that sentence, and that's enough. And I'm not finding my identity in the things that I do, but rather in who I am through Christ, because that should be our goal. You know, I have to constantly evaluate Where my priorities are at. And I have to be very intentional with the boundaries that I set with the time that I spend in my business because it's fun. And that's the thing. It's a fun job to have. And it's so, you know, when you're passionate about something, it can be so easy to get caught up in all of that. But I have to remember that my number one passion needs to be Jesus. And that needs to be where my attention is focused. And when I think about my walk, am I being intentional with that walk? Is it you know, an everyday walk or am I spending time with Jesus once a weekend, you know, at church or even worse, is it just a, just a vacation? Like, I don't want it it, it to be like that at all. So I have to be very intentional about the time that I spend. And I find for myself, if I make sure that at the start of my day, I'm really intentional with spending time with Jesus the rest of the day tends to be more focused that way. Whereas if I get up and I, you know, answer emails or or start shipping out orders or, you know, some of those work things, if I start my day that way, my attention tends to want to go that way the rest of the day. But if I just take time and get my mind centered where it needs to be at the start of the day, the rest of the day tends to go much better. So it's hard. Like that's something I struggle with all the time, making sure that I, have my priorities aligned. And I think that's something all of us struggle with too. It can be so easy just to get caught up with, you know, the fun things in life, the hard things in life, all of it can take our eyes away from where they need to be focused.
1: So I love that advice of starting your day with Jesus. I love that the whole idea, don't start it with emails. Don't start it with answering kind of the businessy questions. And, and I'm wondering, you know, a lot of times in Christian circles, people who go to small groups, right? Uh, (laughs) We have this idea of, we call it a quiet time, you know, or morning devotions. These aren't really biblical ideas there. You can't turn to a section of the Bible where it says, start your morning with Jesus or make sure you're in your daily devotional. But I, I think it's wise for us to start there. And I'd love for you to just have a moment to, as someone who can become very busy, can become very Martha oriented, what would be some super practical advice for people to start their day like Mary.
3: It's interesting that you say this, and I think I'm gonna answer this a little bit different in that as a person who tends to want to accomplish lots of tasks and get things done, I am a checklist sort of person. And one of the things that I have had to really be intentional not to do is to make my time with Jesus just be a checklist sort of time. You know, yes, I prayed and yes, I did my quiet time. Yes, I've gone to church, It's not a checklist sort of thing, and it doesn't need to happen at one point in the day. I do find for myself starting the day off works best because it it changes my mindset. But the last thing that I want it to be is a checklist sort of thing. Could you imagine like if my husband came home from work and I was like, "Ooh, gave you a hug. Check that off the list. Done. Like it's never like a one and done sort of thing. We are trying to walk with Jesus throughout the whole day. So. For me, if I make sure that I have my Bible setting out on the coffee table, so it's like one of the first things I see when I get up, I'm reminded, yes, let's spend some time here. But it it doesn't end there. If something comes to mind throughout the day, or I need to stop and pray, or I'm working through something that's tricky, like I want my mind, like Jesus, to be the first person that I go to for answers, for advice, for reassurance, all of those things. And so... While it certainly helps me to start out my day like that, it's not just a let's start and then you know we're we're done, we're wrapping things up. It's a let's start and then let's continue on throughout the day.
1: Solid advice from Corey Yoder. I love that. I hope you appreciated that as well. To send you out today in light of that great conversation, here's a song from my latest solo record called I Surrender My Life Unto Your Will.
0: Yeah! God, let me be Until